0: Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Well, good morning, everyone. Some of you may have seen this week, I put out like a little Facebook thing that was um, asking what people's favourite flavour combinations are. And so I want to share some of these with you. I think I think these are all flavour combinations that probably uh, we've all had before. Uh, the first one is... Uh, This one, Choc Mint. Who's a Choc Mint fan in the house today? Love a bit of Choc Mint. I know it's a a rainy day, but we're gonna have to, like, you know, we're gonna have to be like, yes, Choc Mint. All right, next one, Choc Strawberries. Come on. Oh, and hello to all the people online too. I always forget to do that. So hello. Most of them are my family, so (laughs) I gotta gotta make sure I do that. All right, next one, Chips and Gravy. Yeah, this is one that I could have right now, if I'm honest. In Ballarat, we used to do chips, gravy, and cheese. Um, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Some people not not huge fans of that one. I actually think it's just I think it's a Ballarat thing. I don't even think it's a Victorian thing. It's very odd. Anyway, but the, the chips, gravy, and cheese van was over the road from our our church for a period of time, so um, we all gained a lot of weight. So next one, bacon and eggs, classic. All right, next, we'll start to go through them. Salted caramel, who's a salted caramel fan? Very good. There's also sweet and sour, Uh, that's a good flavour combo. Next one, Vegemite and cheese, that's a Vegemite and cheese scroll. Some people are a little bit jury still out on Vegemite. Who's a Vegemite fan? Who's a Vegemite hater? There's not a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, I'm on the fence about Vegemite. It's like, I hate it or I love it, I don't get what that is. Next one. Cookies and cream? Love a bit of cookies and cream. Who's hungry now? Yeah. Uh, apple, cinnamon, lemon, lime, peanut butter and chocolate. Uh, next one, ham and cheese. Yum. Love a good ham and cheese. Wine and cheese, also very popular. And then this one. Now, hands up if you call this a chicken palmy. <coughs> Wrong. It's a chicken palmer. Hallelujah. <laughs> so this chicken parma... Uh, this is especially just in spite of Daniel, who's been stirring me up about chicken parmi for the last several weeks. Anyway, so take that. Um, chicken parma, parma is... Do you know what? Okay, we can at least all agree on this. My big concern when I, saw, when I was Googling images of chicken parmigianas... ...was that they were all served on spaghetti. It's a thing? right Oh, In America. Oh, in America. Okay. I've never seen that before. I'm talking pub meal, parmigiana, chips. They usually put it on the chips and then you have to take it off the chips... ...and get all the chips out. And then they fall off your plate. And then it's just the whole thing. And then just don't give me salad. I don't want the salad. Anyway. I just want the chicken parma, parma and the chips but put the chips on the side, please. Anyway, so chicken breast, uh, cheese and the sauce and whatever, it's a great flavour combo. But, you know, other flavour combos don't immediately seem to go together, but actually do. I think salted caramel is an example of that. But I remember when I was in, um, Kirsty and I went to uh, America uh, to visit my friend who had uh, one of my uh, really close mates uh, who ended up being the best man in his wedding over there. We went over there and his, his wife that he, he'd left Australia to go and, and meet and marry over there, she introduced us to uh, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the first time, and at that time, this was probably like, I don't know, seven years ago or something, it was a little while ago, and I wasn't even really a peanut butter fan at that point. Now I'm like a peanut butter fiend. But at that time, I was like, eh, peanut butter, certainly wouldn't be putting it with jam, I'm not even like a massive sandwich guy, Um, and so for me, uh, yeah, I was a bit, eh. But she was, uh, we were were going on this day trip, and that was all she'd she'd packed to eat, and so I was like, oh well, I guess I'll give it a go, and I tell you, PB&J, very, very good. Very, very good. Underrated, especially in Australia. In America, they talk about it all the time. But here, uh, it's one of these combos that you go, that really shouldn't go together, and yet you, you, you put it in your mouth, and your taste buds tend to enjoy it. So give it a go. Have a crack. Great flavor combos. They don't always have to look like they're going to go well together. And in James chapter 2, we're doing our, our James series at the moment on the book of James. Uh, we learn of another great combination, and that great combination is faith and works, faith and works, or faith and deeds, or faith and action. I'll use all those terms kind of interchangeably, Words, uh, works, deeds, and action, predominantly action. Now, I'll give you some general definitions here. Faith is the belief in Jesus. Jesus is Son of God, crucified for our sin, He came, lived, died, He rose again. Uh, that is Uh, what James kind of is referring to as faith in his letter, but then also works or deeds of action uh, are what we do in obedience to God, which includes our attitudes. Things like loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and loving our neighbour or loving others as Jesus loved us or love your neighbour as yourself. These are the kinds of things, uh, the kind of obedience uh, that, or the kind of works that James wants to see in our lives. But this combo of faith and works is a little bit different to those other flavour combos uh, that I mentioned before because most flavour combos are okay individually as well. So, for example, chocolate and strawberries together are awesome, but also individually they're good too. We love chocolate, we love strawberries. Whereas in the book of James, this guy James, who was Jesus' half-brother, he communicates that faith by itself if not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith by itself is, if not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, faith and action are more than just a great combo. They're never meant to be separate. They're not meant to be separated. We're not meant to have, a, oh, you've got faith, I've got, you know, works or actions over here. No, they're meant to go together. And this forms kind of the main uh, element of James's argument: faith. And works, faith and action, faith and deeds are always meant to go together. Whereas faith without works, faith without actions, James contends, is a terrible combo. I also asked people what terrible combos of food they had had. Faith without works and actions is like Nutella on bread dipped into tomato soup. Faith without works and actions is like a Wheat Bix a wheat-bick with a craft single cheese wrapped around it. Faith without actions is like Vegemite flavoured Cadbury dairy milk, which actually happened and was commercially sold for millions of dollars, which is crazy to think about. Faith without action, this is my personal favourite, is like chicken milk. Chocolate quick milk with powdered chicken stock put in it and stirred in. Chicken milk. Try it today. Um, Faith without action is a terrible, or faith with inaction is a terrible, terrible combo. And James detested faith without deeds as much as I detest those combos that I've just mentioned, especially chicken milk. But why is James so full on with this concept of faith must be accompanied by action, this faith and action combo? And I would say today, and in my reading of of the book of James and in chapter 2 in particular, that understanding the why behind James's kind of contentions here, behind his whole teaching on faith and works, understanding the why is actually really important for us. Not just understanding what he's saying, but the why behind it has huge impacts, not only on us as individuals and followers of Jesus, but on our churches, on our homes and all environments that we find ourselves in. It's an important question to ask the first why, why is James so harsh about this? Why is he so full on about this faith and works combo? Is so that we'll be judgment ready. Sounds a bit odd, but bear with me. So we'll be judgment ready. James was Jesus' half-brother, and he would have known Jesus' teaching on faith and action. In Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. It's probably one of the scariest verses in the whole Bible. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. James, knowing Jesus, would have known that teaching very well. James knew that every person would one day face judgment for their actions here on this earth, would one day have to give an account of their life to Jesus, just saying I'm a Christian wasn't going to cut it. Jesus had made himself very clear on this point; it was no secret. It wasn't like this thing of like, "Oh, you know, we'll reel them in on the grace message and then, you know, later on tell them what Jesus said." Jesus just talked about faith and works and judgment all the time. It was very common; it wasn't a secret. Uh, my wife obviously went to uh, rest over the weekend. Who else went to rest? I was expecting like a whoop, yeah, man, <laughs> when do you not whoop, like, that's the first time I've ever gone like, a women's ministry thing, there's no whoop, anyway, so Kirsty arrived home from, from rest, she, uh, she loved it, um, but I knew that because Kirsty was coming home and I'd, I'd been with Evie for the best part of uh, a few days because she was also working uh, Thursday, Friday, I knew there was an impending judgment of the state of our house. Uh, and, and if that house wasn't, yeah, m- Wifey is, is, is uh, a, not a clean freak, but she, she likes things to be clean and orderly. I think, is she in Green Monkeys right now? Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <sighs> All right, I can just talk now. So no PC needed. She's not going to watch the replay of this. She hears me talk enough. Anyway, so I knew there was an impending judgment coming. That there was, you know, those moments as she walks in, she was. it was going to be like, is there dog hair everywhere? Is there toys? Have the toys been put away? Not that she would have a go at me about these things. Very gracious. But I know the way that she likes to have the house. I know it stresses her out and that's important to her, so that's fine. And so, like Jesus, she has made her expectations very clear, both in word and in facial expression, about how she likes the house to be. And me saying to her upon her... Walking back into the house last night, oh, well, I was going to, yeah, look, I was going to tidy, but um, excuse, 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 there's plenty of them, I was too tired, I'm prepping a sermon, you know, I'm preaching God's word tomorrow, you know, I don't have time for that cleaning stuff, um, you know, there's a toddler and she's a, she's a crazy banshee, no, none of those excuses uh, would have really cut it, okay, I knew, I know the expectation, and, and it goes the other way as well. And James wanted... I, I wanted that, the house to be kirsty-ready, right? James wanted the church to be judgment-ready. James wanted the church to be ready for that judgment that would happen inevitably when we either die or when Jesus uh, returns. Because when you're judgment-ready, this is what's really important about this whole thing, because we hear judgment and we ine- immediately think negative, negative, negative. We've already cried enough today. Uh, but judgment when you are ready for it, is not something that you fear. It's actually something that you can look forward to. If you have ever watched one of those um, cooking shows, cake shows, whatever they are, I can't actually think of any off the top of my head right now, but there's so many of them, Master Chef, My Kitchen Rules, uh, and all those other ones. When, when they know, they've all got to submit their, their um, dishes for, for judgment, right, to the judges. When they know that they've cooked a really good dish or made a really good cake, they're actually a little bit excited to get the feedback. They're actually really excited to bring that. They're not, some people, sure, are going up going, oh, no, I don't know if I've done it right. But some people are like, no, I'm confident. I know I've put my best work into this. And I know that I've done what the recipe said. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to submit this thing because I'm excited to get the feedback from the judges. I'm excited for this judgment period. Now, they don't talk like that, but that's essentially what happens. But they get a confidence going into judgment Not a fear. And James wants us to have a confidence going into judgment, not a, oh no, I have to see Jesus face to face, I'm scared. No, he wants us to be able to go to him and go, hey, this has been my life, this is how I've lived, and be able to present it with confidence. He knew, therefore, that a faith without actions wasn't going to cut it Before. Jesus, he writes in 2.14, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer is no. That kind of faith, faith without any action, faith that doesn't lead to anything, can't save. We hear elsewhere, you know, by faith alone. That kind of faith that Paul and James talk about and other Bible uh, biblical writers talk about elsewhere, faith alone does save. But the kind of faith that doesn't save is the faith that goes nowhere, the faith that hasn't really taken root in our hearts at all. Why? Because James argues that a faith without action demonstrates that maybe there's no faith at all. The main uh, kind of key scholar on, on the book of James is a guy called Douglas J. Moo. And I think it would be very difficult to do, do a serious job if your last name was Moo. But he wrote, James is not arguing that works must be added to faith. He's not saying you, do, you have your faith and then you do all your works and then you're saved. No, he's not arguing that. It's not an ingredient. His point rather is that genuine biblical faith will inevitably be characterized by works. In other words, to James, there is no such thing as a non-works faith. Because works demonstrate the fact that you have faith. As in action demonstrates that there's some change that's gone on on the inside of you. That the message of Jesus has impacted your heart and therefore is overflowing in your life. James labours this point in chapter 2 verse 18. He says, Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds or actions. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. In other words, what's the evidence of faith? The evidence of faith is good deeds or works or action, godly action in our lives. It's almost like here, he's, it's almost like a, a poker setting where it's like you're putting in your, your faith, good and well. Well, I'm going to raise you deeds as well. I'm going all in. Match me. To James and Jesus, the evidence of saving faith is godly action in our lives. Because in James chapter 1, he talks, earlier in James, James chapter 1, he talks about this word being the seed that grows in our heart, that we need to accept. And a seed, if it's, if it's nourished nourished and nurtured, naturally grows, doesn't it? We, we desire for seeds to grow. A seed isn't just a seed for a seed's sake. Kirsty's back in the service now, just letting you know. It's all good. Nothing happened. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Yes. No. Don't watch the video anyway so in James chapter 1 James says that that seed that is in your heart it, it they describe he describes it as a seed and Jesus uses this in in uh, parables as well the parable of the growing seed uh, the parable of the the various soil uh, because a seed is meant to grow and works are the natural overflow actions are the natural overflow of that seed being in our hearts being on the good soil Christ in me It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is the evidence of that? The evidence of that is the actions that you then go and do. And so James is kind of asking this very harsh, confronting question. If there's no action, godly action in your life, is Jesus in your heart? That is a really awful, somewhat, question to ask in our society where we don't want to offend anyone. But this is elsewhere in Scripture. It talks about test your faith. Actually, have a look at yourself. Look internally and go, all right, where am I at with this? And James was asking this church the question, where are your actions? And therefore, where is your faith? He actually, um, it gets worse. James gets a little spicier in the verses straight after this in, in 19 and 20 of chapter 2. He says, you have faith. This actually, it's full on. He's full on, right? He, he would not be fun at parties. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? I love how the, the NLT um, captures this particular scripture. The NLT translation is a di- what's called a dynamic equivalent, and it gives you kind of the thought for thought um, of, of the scripture of the original um, languages. And it, and it really conveys, which I think they've got bang on, almost the sarcasm that he asks this question in, the irony that he asks this question, the little like jab, oh, you, you, you believe there's a God? Well, good for you. There's like the demons believe in God too. If you read this a few times, he's basically comparing an inactive follower of Jesus with demons. I'm not saying they're demonic, but he's, he's just making this little link. He's not talking about backslidden Christians. He's not even talking about atheists. He's saying those who say they are, but then do nothing. He's saying, you believe in Jesus? Cool, even demons believe in and know Jesus. And we know that even demons acknowledge Jesus' authority in Jesus' life. He would go and there would be demon-possessed people and they'd be like, away from us, Jesus. We know you are the Son of God. Even demons are able to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God, the Messiah. They were able to recognize all those things. And if even, even demons can do that, what makes the true Christian different? Actions, works, deeds. The Christian lives for Jesus. The demon does not. <laughs> the inner life of Christ, that seed that is in our hearts, when we accept the gospel message, slowly but surely comes out on the outside. I'm not talking like you go from you know, being beat up, in life and and not churchy at all one minute and then you accept the gospel and then all of a sudden you're just like perfect at everything and you're, you're just this amazing example of Jesus constantly. No, it's this over time, the word is sanctification, that we become more and more like Jesus as that word grows within us. That kind of faith, faith with action, faith without working, we can know that we can be confident in judgment. When we have that kind of faith, when we've accepted the gospel and we're putting it into action in our lives, James says that's the kind of faith that separates you from the demons. That's the kind of faith where you'll look forward to meeting Jesus face to face because you're going to be able to go, Jesus, here I am, and I loved you and followed you in my life. I don't know about you. I want to have that conversation with Jesus at the end of my days or when he returns. So what was my original point? So we'll be judgment ready. The second... Sorry, I forgot. The second one, the second reason why he's so full on, the second reason why James is so, um, yeah, dogged with his presentation of this faith and works um, motif is that he knows that it transforms the church and it transforms us and it transforms communities. I haven't written this up there, but it can transform homes, any environment. James saw firsthand what faith without action led to in the church. And there's, there's a lot of things that I'll very quickly cover. Basically, he saw people claiming to have faith, but consistently and unapologetically, and let me stress those words, consistently and unapologetically, not like, oh, you know, we all sin, we all make mistakes from time to time in these areas that I'm about to, or that are up there, Um but he's like consistently and unapologetically people claiming to have faith, but they're not controlling their tongue, the way they speak, the way they act. Neglecting people claiming to have faith, but neglecting the lowly and the poor and instead favouring the rich and the famous, giving them the good seats at church, kicking off the destitute ones and, and making sure... You know, my old church had actually had numbered pews. This was a system back many a year ago um, not in the time I was there, where, you know, depending on who you were, you got the better seats. James is saying, do not do that, please. It is not good. This is a big, big thing in James chapter 2. He really goes after this idea that, hey, you would have faith and yet you wouldn't lift a finger to help someone that was lowly in at, or in need. He gives this... um Kind of this this picture of a destitute person coming into the meeting, a level of poverty perhaps that we know not of in our society where I think the words he uses is basically that they're in rags. They're barely clothed. And it would be like us saying to someone like that, I'm praying for you and then walking off. I'm sending thoughts and prayers, good vibes to you. He's like, what use is that? How does that help? Don't just say, God bless you. Be the answer to their prayer. Go and do something about it. If you see need, do something. He also goes on about people claiming to have faith, but then going on to be boasting, jealous, having selfish ambition and pride. People claiming to have faith, but infighting among the church, living worldly, slandering others behind their back. People claiming to have faith, but bringing unbiblical judgment against others. Some judgment is is. Necessary and needed to be wise, but this is the the unbiblical, the bad kind, the putting down kind. People claiming to have faith, but storing up and trusting in their wealth more than storing up uh, treasures in heaven, which we do through good deeds and and trusting in God. He's not James is not anti wealth and anti money. By the way, he's he's talking about the heart attitude. These things are not an exhaustive list of what happens when faith. Doesn't have action. These are just the ones that James had specifically witnessed in his context. There are far more. Paul, for example, the Apostle Paul, who was a leader and church planter in the early church, he he wrote um, in Galatians 5:19 to 21, which I referred to as the fruits of the flesh. Uh, because he goes on to talk about the fruits of the Spirit later on. He says um, other things like sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, outbursts of anger, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, all these things can begin to crop up if faith is not outworked on the outside. And just like a when we go to the doctor, they check for symptoms and you describe the symptoms and they, they look at you and they might get their little magnifying glass out or they'll get your little... The heart thing. What do you call that? Stethoscope. The heart thing. I'll just get my heart thing out. Um, and they, they diagnose a problem based on all the symptoms. Well, for James and for Paul also, but James here specifically, he sees these symptoms before him in the church and he diagnoses, ah, I've seen this before. It's faith without action. That is the underlying problem problem and what does James prescribe as a remedy to this faith without action issue well interestingly you'd think that he would just write to them and say do more do more do more do more stop doing bad do good the end but that would actually just be an outside in approach which is behavioral management which doesn't really work long term uh, if we change the outside and nothing's going on on the inside, uh, then that becomes a bit Pharisaic, and Jesus criticised the Pharisees for that same thing. Oh, you're all polished up on the outside, uh, but then on the inside, you, you're dead. And so James instead uh, takes a different approach, and, and and much of what he prescribes um, is brought in in chapter 1. Firstly, he says we need to accept, we need to accept the Word of God, which is that the word of God that has been sown into our hearts, the gospel, the message of Jesus, that Jesus came and died to save sinners. That is the seed that we need to really and truly accept in our lives. Not just go, oh yeah, I acknowledge that that's a thing, but actually go, no, this needs to be the cornerstone of my life. This needs to be, my innermost being needs to be all about the fact that Jesus came and died for me. Accepting that message, the internal part, Is the first step. The second, or the second key, is to hear, and I would add, read the Word, which is the Bible. And we can do that through, sure, attending church and hearing the message, the Word preached, that's great. But also, we obviously stress the importance of the spiritual discipline of getting into the Bible yourself. Asking the questions. You know, if you, if you read it and you don't understand it, write the questions down. Bring it to someone and go, hey, going into a life group can be really handy for that as well. Any opportunity you can get to get the word into you is not time wasted. It is time well spent. The word gives a framework for the action that we then need to do. It's like a, it's like a manual. And that leads us to the third thing, which is do. Now, note that do isn't number one. Do's number three. It's accept, hear, and then do. Accept, hear, do. Be doers of the word and live out your faith. I know that sometimes when um, things, I'm not a gardener, but when when things are planted, uh, you need to provide like a structure for that that tree or that vine to grow onto and into um, so that it it grows in the right place. And the word gives the framework and the structure for the doing uh, like that with us. James wrote 1:22 to 24. Don't just listen to God's word. Now, note he's not saying don't listen to God's word. He's saying don't just listen to God's word. Listening is still important. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. That happened to me recently when I shaved my beard off. Um, it was very embarrassing. I was like, do I look like that? We don't want to be like that with the word. We don't want to be like that with our faith. Like, what, what, who even am I? James wants us to be secure in our identity in Christ, which comes from uh, that relationship and accepting the gospel and, and hearing, reading the word, and then outworking it. We can't forget it if we're regularly doing. Accepting, hearing, and doing we'll see these symptoms of false faith false false faith false faith false faith dissipate in our lives and in our churches and even in our homes and there will be transformation instead we'll see true saving faith that brings life and godly action instead of not controlling our tongues we'll grow in self-control because self-control is a fruit of the spirit and the spirit will give birth and give life to that seed that has been sown within us And cause us to grow in self-control. Instead of neglecting the lowly and the poor. I'm not saying we actually do these things, by the way. I'm just saying that if this is uh, an issue, neglecting the lowly and the poor or ungodly favoritism, instead we'll be loving people as Jesus loved us. Instead of being boastful, jealous, selfish, proud, we'll be humble, genuine, authentic. Instead of infighting and slandering, we'll be building one another up in love for the cause of Christ. Instead of living worldly, we'll live distinctively like Jesus. Instead of bringing on biblical judgment, we'll judge with fairness, with wisdom, and with compassion. And instead of storing up treasures, and, or storing up wealth and trusting it, we'll hold our wealth loosely, knowing that we can't take it with us when we go. And we'll store up treasures in heaven by doing the actions that God has for us to do, the works that he planned long ago for us to do, which is how we store up those treasures in heaven. So just to recap as I get the band to come faith without actions is better than the best flavor combination out there. It's even better than PB&J. And it should never be separated. It's not have a little bit of faith over there and have a little bit of works over there. No, they are meant to go together. Whereas faith with inaction or bad action is a terrible combo. Like chicken milk. James stresses that faith needs action so that we can be judgment ready. Jesus said very clearly that those whose actions evidence their faith will be saved. James wants us to be ready for that day. Not only that, James knew that faith with action transforms churches, lives and homes. And where ungodly actions and injustices injustices are, godly action is needed. we see that transformation in our lives and in churches and in our homes by accepting the word that is sown into our heart, accepting the gospel message, hearing what the Bible has to say about how we are to live, how we are to treat others, how we are to prioritise God, and then doing, outworking, what the Bible has said for us to do, going as Jesus' disciple and living like Him in this world. As we do this, the Holy Spirit takes that seed of the word that is within our hearts, that gospel message, transforms it into something amazing and incredible handsome, that doesn't just bless and give life to us but gives life to others to churches to communities and our homes as well this week i just have a, a very basic practical challenge for all of us and, and that is might sound a little unscriptural but if you haven't downloaded the port life app um, already i'd encourage you to to do that and, and we can help you do that afterwards if you haven't done that come and come and see me and we'll, we'll talk you through how you can download that because within that Port Life app there is uh, read reflect, respond challenges uh, with the Bible and you can also listen to the sermons there if you need clarification on things and whatever and although on a on a Monday on Sunday everything can sound very spiritual sometimes on a Monday when you get the app out or whatever it's like oh this isn't very spiritual but what it does is just starting those really good godly habits in our lives the daily devotion. Uh, And we put in there, in the reflect section, uh, sermon notes and and scriptures that follow on from the message that was just preached. And they are a really good opportunity for you to meditate on. Meditate in a godly sense in that you're thinking about them, you're looking at them, you're praying into them. And see what God does with those. See what God does with that word that we know doesn't return. Uh, That is living and active. It might just sometimes look like words on a screen, but it actually has power in our lives if we read it and go, God, I want to put this into action. And I want to do it. So jump on that, uh, download that, and jump on the Reflect uh, section this week and, and join in with what we're doing uh, in looking at James, the book of James at the moment. So let's pray. God, we just thank you so much uh, that you have given us this text that does help us be not only be judgment-ready, but also helps us bring transformation to our, not our lives, but our, our communities and our homes as well. God, you're a good God. We know you don't desire for any to fall away or any to perish or any to not receive eternal life. We know that the, 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 these biblical writings, though, that they can, though they seem harsh sometimes, challenging at times, you've got them there to help direct us onto the right path. And so, God, this week, Let us not feel condemned or weighed down by this word. But instead, help us to walk the walk. Help us to actually see your word in a new light, to see faith in a new light and to enact enact our faith. To not sit down and just go, oh yeah, I've just got my Christianity on the side. But Lord, to accept that seed of the word that's been sown into our hearts, the gospel message that you came and died for us and that we will live out of that place forever. Lord Jesus, we want to prioritise you. We want to know you. We want to love you as you deserve to be loved. God, help us to be disciples for you in the true and perfect sense. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.